As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Dennis's dream debut in Chile's hurt hamstring as the Champions League group stage concludes. Arsenal come calling. We round up the rest of the Chelsea news. And the form horse returns to the quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Welcome in then, listener. It is our second dose of SOC for the week and things were looking really good, weren't they, until the very closing stages of that game against Dinamo Zagreb. We're going to break that down. We're going to look ahead to Arsenal and there's some other stuff on the agenda today too. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics finest. Liam Toomey's with us. Hi, Liam. Not sure I can do the quiz. I think I just felt my hamstring go. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Um, Dominic Fifield's also with us. How are you doing, Dom? I'm fine, thank you, Matt. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, fresh from the bridge, Harley and I. Uh, we're going to talk about Chelsea versus Dinamo Zagreb first today. Mel gets on the end of Sterling's ball and pulls it back towards Hammer. Sakaria! It's in! That's how you celebrate your debut. Applause from the manager for a man who's had to wait and be patient. Tonight he gets the opportunity. And he marks his Chelsea debut with a goal. Chelsea 2, Dinamo Zagreb 1. Lovely moment for him, Dennis Sakaria. 2-1 to the Blues then. Debutant Dennis, the match winner, but the shine taken off by an injury suffered by Ben Chilwell right at the end of the game. We'll get Liam's thoughts from his living room shortly, but it's much nicer to hear them soundtrack by the quiet murmur of Stamford Bridge at full time. Let's hear the voice note that Liam sent just after the game had finished. I just watched Ben Chilwell popping with an arm round the shoulder of two Chelsea medical staff looking pretty dejected. Uh, His hamstring just gave way late in this game. Initial prognosis just from here looks like Qatar seems quite optimistic for him. Um, From Chelsea's perspective, it's, it's another headache for Graham Potter. The injuries are mounting. You could certainly question the why he picked such a strong team tonight in that regard. You know, there were a few players tonight who played a lot of football recently. Of course, Chilwell maybe not chiefly among them. But maybe Potter just really wanted a response after the Brighton game, the nature of that performance, the way Chelsea have actually been playing in the last three or four games. And you have to say he kind of got one, albeit after a very bad sort of first 10, 15 minutes. You can hear the Dinamo fans in the background. The Blue Boys have travelled in numbers to Stamford Bridge. They've been in fine voice all night, I'm contractually obliged to say as a journalist. Um, And they're currently serenading their team. They made a really bright start to the game and caught Chelsea out. Some terrible defending from across. Bruno Petkovic, who I thought has had a very nice group stage generally, um, had the freedom of the penalty area to head it in. Chelsea looked a little bit unsettled in their shape early on, but really got to grips with things uh, as it went on. And I thought they played some nice football in the end in that back fourth shape. At times it was a 4-3-3, later on it was a 4-2-3-1. And I think generally there's, there's stuff to build on for Potter here. We'll see how Chelsea look physically ahead of Arsenal. 
Oh, well, Liam, let's start with the Ben Chilwell news. Uh, you wrote about this post-match. It was weird, wasn't it, to see such a strong team put out? As you say, Chilwell maybe not played every game in October, but certainly plenty of them. And it was a, a really horrible way for the game to finish. We don't know, as we record on Thursday morning, the full extent of it. But as you say, it looks doubtful that he'll be able to make the World Cup. Yeah, he's getting a scan um, today. But I would say that it's almost certain that he won't be playing any football for Chelsea or England uh, before 2023. You don't recover from hamstring injuries that quickly, regardless of the severity. It's not something you can play through or run off. So it's obviously desperately disappointing for him. Of course, we know he had the um, the COVID absence um, during the last Euros after chatting to Billy Gilmore for about 10 minutes. So he's he's not had the best of luck. And that's, of course leaving out the the massive ACL injury that he got last year and the lengthy recovery that, that he's had from that. I think Chelsea were trying to manage him as carefully as possible. Potter hinted as much after the game. It was still the sixth time he'd basically played 90 minutes in October. And it has been a brutal October for Chelsea and for everyone as we have this manic sprint towards a Winter World Cup. And the other danger that you have with injuries is that they can snowball. You have a couple of players go out, it increases the minutes load on everyone else and that can lead to further injuries. And and that's what I think we've seen with Chelsea and with several other clubs in recent weeks. So I sympathise with Potter in that regard. The starting lineup was slightly strange, just from a kind of injury prevention point of view. It happened to be Ben Chilwell who went down, but... Trevor Chalobah's played every single game for the last four or five weeks or so. Mason Mount has started almost every game and you had Hakeem Ziyech on the bench, who I know a lot of people don't think he has a future at Chelsea, but he is still a footballer employed to play football for Chelsea and is available. So there, there were options and of course... Most mysteriously of all, and we didn't really get an answer to this after the game because, understandably, the Chilwell news overtook everything, why Potter didn't fill his bench. I can never understand not doing that, regardless of whether the players you're leaving out are young, old, whatever. Um, It just, I don't see an advantage. The only reason I can perhaps surmise is that Potter maybe felt that even picking a couple of youngsters among the substitutes would have sent a message to his more senior players that this wasn't a game that mattered when he was clearly looking for a response from the Brighton Horror Show at the weekend. So in that sense, I I do sympathise with Potter because it's not an easy situation to navigate right now for any of these top coaches. And you are working with steadily diminishing resources in terms of fit players. But also felt that he maybe could have done himself slightly more favours with the team he picked. Do you think Chilwell would have started for England, Dom, at the World Cup? No, I think Luke Shaw would would have started. We should probably remember that that Ben Chilwell hasn't actually played a game for England since November 2021, so it would have been a year going into the World Cup um, without him featuring for his country. Because I think probably England will end up playing the group with a back four, and I think Luke Shaw is a natural left back um, and more comfortable at left back, Chilwell would have certainly come into the frame when they switched to a three, when they come up against better opponents like later in the tournament. If they do come up against better opponents in the tournament, but it's it's still horribly, horribly cruel. World Cups don't come around very often um, for players, and to have not played a minute at the Euros, and now to be ruled out the last at the last minute, really for the World Cup it's it's desperately desperately cruel on on Chilwell I've got a bit of sympathy with with Potter on it because I think if you're looking at players that might be vulnerable and Liam's basically as he says they've got injuries in certain areas of the pitch so you, you that's put extra strain on certain parts of the pitch but actually left back isn't one of those areas because they've got Cucurella and they've got Ben Chilwell so um, I don't think he I think there's been a nice balance there he, he played 26 minutes at Brighton last week uh, the weekend, so it's not as if Ben Chilwell wouldn't have been relatively fresh coming into this match, but but you know to to be sprinting deep into stoppage time and to have that happen is is desperate, desperate, desperate for 
for Ben and and bad news for England as well because they now got to come up with a an alternative left sided option. Yeah, bad news for England, but also Liam, we saw how losing James and Chilwell derailed Chelsea's season last time round. I mean, I guess the World Cup, in some ways, uh, might be culpable for for some of the injuries. Will help in that Chelsea will have a, a month without playing a game, but. This will be a big concern for Potter, wasn't it? Because these are two players who are pivotal to the way that, that Chelsea attack as much as defend. Yeah, particularly since Potter has broadly persisted with three at the back wing backs that kind of characterised most of the Tuchel era. I know he he looked at a back four against Dinamo. I think it worked pretty well, other than some shaky defending from crosses. That's probably something he's going to have to persist with now because it. One thing he does have that Tuchel didn't have is he does have Kukurea. So he has a an established alternative to Chilwell in that position. Reese James, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, is a thornier issue to resolve and, and his absence has already pretty fundamentally changed the nature of this team and the way they can play. But when you're talking about sort of the next three games to get you through to the World Cup break, you do still have Aspilicueta, who's not played a ton of minutes. So he can probably step in, particularly in a back four, and do a job. Dennis is pretty flexible as well. I know he played as a number eight last night, but he, he briefly slotted in at centre-back when Koulibaly went off for treatment. I think he could probably do a job at right-back, right-wing-back as well, or play in midfield while Loftus-Cheek goes into that position. So that there are still options. They're not necessarily the the options you'd ideally choose as Graham Potter, but nothing about this stage of the season is ideal. It's just it's just about getting through it, really. We're in almost into that trap now of player pulls up with muscle injury, yes, and we, we go, oh my God, he's out, he's out for the World Cup. And it feels as if that's... It's a bit like when you get an injury like three weeks before the end of the season proper and you suddenly say, oh, the season's over for X, Y or Z. And it's 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 overly dramatic by the nature of the sort of congested fixture schedule. Ben Chilwell, it's a blow not having him for Chelsea next week. But that is that is Chelsea's season now, next week. And then they have a nice rest, actually. And Ben Chilwell will be, have a chance to recuperate. And if that is only a six-week injury, Ben Chilwell, fingers crossed will be either fit or very nearly fit come the resumption of the, the Premier League on Boxing Day. So it could be worse for Chelsea. And and of all of all the wing-back, I mean, last year it really damaged them to be at without Ben Chilwell on the left because it completely warped the balance of the team. They have got Mark Cucurella now who can step into that position. They've got depth there. It's not so much, it's not quite the same on the right where, they, where we're sort of, as, as Liam says, they're, they're, they're a... They're always trying to find solutions when they don't have a natural successor to Reese James. Um, but I, I think it's it, it is what it is. As, as again, as Liam says, it's a schedule. It's it's what it, it is what it is. But for Chelsea, it could be worse. If this had happened six weeks ago, it would have been a hell of a lot worse for Chelsea than it is now. Let's get back to some positivity because Chelsea did win this game. Somebody who, barring injury, will be going to the World Cup with England is Raheem Sterling. Liam, you wrote about him pre-match and the struggles that he's had really since Graham Potter arrived, saved that first game against Salzburg. This is a, a really big goal for him, equalising after Petkovic had given Zagreb the lead. Yeah, pinned up against the dressing room wall, I think, that piece. Not me, that piece <laughs> uh, by Raheem Sterling. It, you could see in his celebration the relief and I think maybe a little bit of the the frustration that's built up in him in these last few weeks because he has had a couple of chances um, that he's missed, which I'm sure have preyed on his mind. He had a couple more chances last night at either side of the goal, which I'm sure will have annoyed him to miss. But it, it, it's been a broader issue with Sterling since Potter took charge, I think, of trying to find the best role to maximise him in the team while also finding the best way for the team to play. You know, Potter's on this kind of bigger journey to get to know this group of players and to and to find the best way to set up on the pitch. And Sterling has had to make more adjustments than most um, as part of that. And Potter was very keen to stress in his post-match press conference that uh, I think his words were, as someone who's played wing-back, I can assure you Raheem Sterling has never played wing-back. So it, it's very much been a false wing-back role when he's played there. He's been a winger in all but name. But it's not been the role 
that he's he was used to playing at Manchester City. There have been slightly different responsibilities. And he just looked a lot more at home last night in more of a more of a front three that became almost a, a sort of four four two diamond when Havertz dropped off. He he, he kind of became a ten. And you had a Bamiyang from the left, Sterling from the right, making kind of diagonal runs behind the defence. That's where Chelsea's equaliser comes from, really, is is both of those, making those runs across each other. That seemed to to really suit Sterling a lot more. He got into a lot more dangerous positions. He'd had three matches without a single shot attempt before this game. And he was far more of an ever-present threat, which I think will be very welcome news for, for him and for Potter. And... Chelsea just need him to carry this form into the next few games now because he was bought to be maybe not the top scorer in this team, but a reliable source of goals and a kind of talismanic attacking presence. Um, And he's not quite been at that level in the last few weeks. Right, Dom, let's get to the reason why we're all really here. I now call to order the first meeting of the Dennis Sakharia Appreciation Society. Um, Who knew that... This guy was this good. I mean, moderate opposition, I think it's fair to say. But but given that he hadn't kicked a ball since you know, a couple of cameo appearances for Switzerland in September and hadn't played club football since August, he looked like a, a genuine option going forward for Chelsea's midfield, didn't he? You know, you know what impressed me most about it is he didn't start very well. I know people were sort of blown away by his performance, but he, he was weak in the build-up to Dynamo's goal. He He... he Pulled out of a tackle against the player who plays the ball out wide, who crosses in and the goal goes in. So he was culpable in that concession, and yet, and that you know, lesser players might have wilted, might have shrunk from from that start. But actually, he 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 grew. He grew into the game. He got into the rhythm of it. He got into the tempo of it. He 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 was very neat and tidy. Um, you know, we we can look at the goal, which was which was well taken, and he he blasts it through, sweeps it through the player on the line very nicely. But even even the second half, when in in the build up to Aubameyang hitting the crossbar, it's it's a it's a very nicely timed interception on the halfway line and pass out wide from uh, from your man Dennis, who is who, who sets it all up, and that that that, that sort of. He set a standard there, which was great. I, I was surprised at how how physically imposing he was uh, as well, which was which was great to see. Um, and this is going to sound terrible, but if if you'd put him in any of the teams between eighth to twentieth in the Premier League, I think he'd look like a world beater. I think he'd look really, really good. And it's just because the level of competition is is so great in the in the an elite club like Chelsea I think that that, that's, that has forced him down the pecking order um, because he looks like a a player with real quality Zachary's goal incidentally further evidence for something that I said a couple of weeks ago my theory that if you hit a shot with that much narrative <laughs> even if there's a defender on the line they're just not stopping it. it it was just always going in and I don't know if you if you noticed there was a pretty defiant look in the direction of the home dugout when he was celebrating that goal. I think he he felt like he he'd sent some sort of a message to Potter. It was the one it was the one thing he said after the game in in an otherwise pretty unremarkable post match interview was that he admitted this has been a really difficult time for him. It's been very frustrating not to play. He clearly feels, understandably so, that he should have had more minutes. You can probably make the argument to an extent from Potter's perspective that if he'd played earlier, he might not have been quite up to the speed of the rest of the team and and the requirements of playing central midfield for Chelsea. And the last thing he wanted was uh, another Saul situation where you put in someone drastically undercooked and it's immediately glaring and kind of conditions everything that happens afterwards. But that that wasn't the case. He He was... He was very up to the intensity of the game. He got a bit of a initiation from Kaladu Koulibaly. The first pass he got of the game, Koulibaly was just, right, I'll just give you the ball marked by Luka Ivanusek, who just proceeded to try and wrestle him off the ball and he won a free kick. But um, he grew from that point. He did really well playing the ball fast into the forwards, particularly Aubameyang. 
And I think he's put himself in a position to get some more minutes, particularly when you look at Kante still being out, Kovacic managing this calf issue. Jorginho has has always had little things here and there and kind of needs to be protected a little bit. And, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek's played a lot of football recently. So I think there is really a window of opportunity for him now. Yeah, and the goal probably helps that as well because Loftus-Cheek uh, is not a regular goal scorer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Dom, we ought to give some praise to Chelsea and Graham Potter specifically, haven't we? Because after two games with one point and bottom of the group, we wouldn't have expected them to have won it with a game to spare. It's been a really impressive turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. And and those the results against Milan were the ones. Those were the, the games and the performances that really set the standard and, and allowed Chelsea to, to progress so smoothly. And it's, yeah, it's, it's he had to adjust pretty rapidly to a competition that he'd never had anything to do with. We remember his, his pre-match ahead of the the Salzburg game where he's, he's, he's admitting he's never been to a Champions League fixture before. And so it's... Yeah, it's 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 been brilliant. I, mean, I think it's probably to be expected. I think it's really where Chelsea would have expected to have been when the when the draw was made. I, you know, the shock was that they only took one point from the first two games. It wasn't that, that they would win the group with a with a match to spare, but but they've done very very well. I'm interested on 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 just on on that performance on Wednesday because you two were both there watching on the television. To me, that was just... I don't think it told us anything new about Chelsea. I mean, Zachariah, yeah, Dennis has come in and, and done a bit. Um, but to me, that was against substandard opposition. That was Chelsea being profligate again. They should have run right at the second half. They should have had three or four more goals. Isn't that the same old issues, actually, in, in Chelsea's game? Or, or should we be more... This is now setting us home for the weekend. Hmm. Not sure. What do you think, Liam? I thought the, the positive attacking-wise was Havertz at the tip of that diamond looked look really effective, but then you'd counteract that by saying that Aubameyang was, was sort of anonymous. And as, as Dom says, there were lots of missed chances in the second half. Well, in terms of the bigger picture of what we've seen from Chelsea, you know, predating Potter as well, yeah, the, it was a continuation in terms of the missed chances. I do think he would have learned a bit about the team just because he did try a significantly different shape for this game. And I think it worked nicely. Um, it worked nicely in an attacking sense. I'm still not 100% convinced by Koulibaly and Chalobah as a pairing in a back four. I think they were they were both bad for the, for the Dinamo goal. There were a couple of other times where crosses came into the box and panic ensued. <laughs> Koulibaly just really doesn't convince in the air. Chalab has been very good in the air for Chelsea, but he's played a lot of football recently. You'd imagine Thiago Silva will be coming in there again for games that really matter more. But just from an attacking sense, I think that was the main thing that Potter was probably looking for and that he got. If you look at the XG, Dom, it was Chelsea's best this season in any game, 275 according to Opta. So they did at least create the chances, which is something that has not been happening as much in the last few games. Uh, so I, th- I think that's a positive. And, and the more it looks like, you know, Sterling, Aubameyang, Mount, Havertz are building these combinations and understandings. I thought Pulisic was, was bright again when he came on in limited minutes you're maybe developing a framework where a few more of these forwards can actually start to show their their true talents. Uh, Dom, it's a, a fairly futile question, given that the last 16 is not for another three months, but I'm going to ask you anyway, who, who are Chelsea looking to get? Who are they looking to avoid? I mean, I'm, I'm scanning the list of potential opponents. They all look pretty tricky to me. You've got Bruges, Inter Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Eintracht Frankfurt, RB Leipzig or PSG. I, I guess PSG is the, is the big one to try and avoid, but there's none that you look at there and think, well, that's a pretty straightforward path to the quarterfinals. No, no, but but we are, what, four months away from from the the actual knockout phase is that so it's Valentine's Day, isn't it? In February time when we were in the Champions League. Over, yeah. yeah, I mean it's and so much can happen. There's a blooming World Cup in between now and then, and let alone another rush of domestic fixtures like everything that we've endured in in October or that the players have endured in October. So uh, there there are also clubs that that potentially who have done very, very well in the group stage that might lose players in January um, in the transfer window to to bigger um, bigger clubs. So 
It's so difficult. I mean, you, yeah, PSG are the obvious ones to you, you want to avoid. I'm going to ask. I'm going to put Liam on the spot now. Is, is there a rule now that would stop Romelu Lukaku playing against Chelsea if they drew Inter? No. So that could happen. No, there's no cup tied rule for UEFA competitions, which is why the Thibaut Courtois. Courtois defied yeah. Jose Mourinho. So but Chelsea, Chelsea talked about putting a making sure that never happened again, didn't they? And putting writing it into deals and stuff that, that, that they wouldn't be allowed to to play against them. Did that? Has, has That's that fine, but it's there? actually unenforceable by UEFA rules. Fine. You can't fine. do that. Maybe they'd like to play Romelu anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> it depends which version you get. Liam, I know how much you love narrative. So what are you picking then? Lukaku returns, go up against Timo Werner, <laughs> or get Jude Bellingham to have um, potentially an audition for for his next club. Well, Dortmund would have been far more narrative if Tuchel was still in charge. Um, there would have been a lot more scope for those types of pieces. Bellingham, I just think clubs are going to be ogling him for the rest of the season. That's not really a, a specific Chelsea one. Although I would love to go to Dortmund. It's one of the ones I've not been to. I would take the San Siro, though, because Simon did that trip for the Milan game. So going back for Inter would be quite nice. I'm purely judging on my own sort of professional journalist tourism <laughs> aspirations I don't really want to go back to Eintracht Frankfurt it was, a, it was a nice enough place nice stadium but I've already done the Europa League semi there 2019 and after all I'm what's important so um, <laughs> I would I would probably pick I, I'd probably pick Inter I think that's probably the most entertaining one on a number of levels and we don't even know whether Lukaku would play you know he's had a lot of injuries but but speaking to what Dom said a few minutes ago, I remember in 2021 when Chelsea drew Atletico Madrid in the round of 16, Tuchel wasn't in charge yet. Chelsea were in the midst of moving backwards in December. Atletico were top of the Spanish league. It looked like they had no chance. It More than any other Champions League draw, this is one that you really cannot um, read into when it's made. And that's why... I will be providing instant analysis from a Chelsea perspective on the Champions League round of 16 draw early next week. Exclusively on The Athletic. Narrative-wide, you, you watch now, RB Leipzig or Dortmund will lose every single match between now and the end of January and uh, sack the manager, sack the head coach and Thomas Tuchel will walk in at one of those clubs and that'll be the team that, t- that Chelsea take on. <laughs> Uh, the draw takes place on Monday if you want to keep up with that and Liam as he says will be across it the tie's not played though until February and March of next year Uh, well if Dinamo was a dead rubber Sunday's game against Arsenal is the exact opposite and a live pencil sharpener Uh, anyway we'll preview the London derby next this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chelsea hosts the Premier League leaders at noon on Sunday then. If you want to know why it's at noon, there's a piece up on The Athletic today explaining that. Basically, it was a BT Sport pick. They have the 12.30 Saturday slot. Arsenal can't play on Saturday because they're playing in the Europa League on Thursday. But there's more colour in the piece, uh, which goes into detail on why it's happening at noon. Uh, Arsenal will be 13 points ahead of Chelsea if they win this game. They're looking to win at Stamford Bridge for the third successive season. Ben Chilwell's not going to be playing in this match, Liam. I think we can be fairly certain of that. Do you think Denis Zakaria will? Do you think Kovacic and Kepa will will return for this one? Kepa won't. Um, Potter's already made that clear that he's, he's progressing well 
from his foot injury, but he's not ready yet. So Eduard Mendy will be trusted again in goal. I, I think Kovacic will probably play, given that most of Chelsea's better performances in the last month or so have come with him in the team, and most of their worst have come when he's not been on the pitch. So I, I, I think uh, going back to the Kovacic-Jorginho pairing, that tried and trusted understanding is probably the best bet, but Zakaria certainly has a chance. It's an interesting game within the context of the Chelsea-Arsenal rivalry because... I think Simon's writing something along those lines ahead of the game for us. Arsenal have been Chelsea's bogey team the last few years. I think almost dating back to Conte when he when he just for some reason couldn't beat Wenger. But this is slightly different because this is the first match. I think it's the first match I can remember that Arsenal will go into as favourites. And that that shifts the dynamic slightly. They've been the they've been the the underdogs who are well up for it and deciding to be the fly in the ointment at Stamford Bridge. That that won't be the case this time. Uh, they'll be coming with the full weight of Premier League leading expectations uh, as quite a young team. So I, th- I think that game's going to tell us a lot about where they are as much as anything, but, but Potter will be looking to use it as a measuring stick for this Chelsea team as well. It's a gargantuan game, isn't it, Dom, for, for both sides. Chelsea starting the weekend three points behind fourth place Newcastle, but with a game in hand. They've got to play Newcastle next weekend in the um, final game before the World Cup. But Chelsea need to, to get something from this match, right? Just to show that they're they're of a similar standard to Arsenal and that they are contenders for, for top four, if not the title this season. Yeah, and... The local bragging rights, can you say that? But I mean, they won't, they won't want to see Arsenal sprinting further clear of them. I mean, that would be problematic in terms of um, not just the title race, but their status in London, really. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And I'm, yeah, it's such a shame it's a midday because uh, I, I find those early kickoffs so. It seems as if the players even struggle to shrug off the sort of cobwebs of that early kickoff time. They don't seem to get into it quite so easily. But it's 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 a real challenge. I mean, Arsenal have won what ten? They're the thirty-one points after twelve matches. I think they're the they're the tenth team in Premier League revamped Premier League history to have as many points after so many games, and only one of those hasn't gone on to win the title. Um, which should be the quiz question later on, but I, I've stolen that brazenly from the Totally Football Show, so I couldn't possibly... Uh, uh, Newcastle United in 95-96. Um, and so there's real belief coursing through through Arsenal at the moment. They, they, this is like the the Arteta, all that patience they had in Arteta and allowing him to to put things in place, to put, to put the project in place, is now coming to fruition and... You know they'll, they'll they travel across a, across the capital properly confident, playing well. They had a swashbuckling win over some team from the East Midlands last weekend, um, which we don't talk about. And um, very lucky, the, the first four goals. <laughs> but it's 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 a real challenge, and and it's a great game because it's got the subplots as well. You throw in you throw in Aubameyang into all that, and it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic occasion. Any chance that Chelsea finish above Arsenal this season, Liam, or is that already gone? No, I think there's a chance. Um, Arsenal certainly have a lot of points in the bank from this incredible start, but I, there's still a lot of questions about them. My feeling from the outside is that they've got a really good starting eleven, and the depth of what they've built under Mikel Arteta hasn't really been tested yet. Certainly, if the if the run of injuries continues to flow in this direction, I'd I, I'd very much doubt Chelsea catch Arsenal. But if things start to turn a little bit, particularly in the second half of the season, then there is more than enough time. Chelsea probably have to start by winning this game, uh, or certainly not losing it. But it, it it's going to be a funny season anyway because it's almost two sprints, isn't it? Either side of the World Cup, and that in itself could throw up some. Some, some different storylines and maybe help Arsenal do something that seemed inconceivable in the summer. I remain sceptical, at the very least, that they'll that they'll beat Manchester City. I still think it's possible for, for a lot of the chasing teams to catch them, including Chelsea. But it, it kind of has to start, I think, with this game. 
Yeah, Arsenal got a tough run of matches after the World Cup. They've got to play West Ham, Brighton away, Newcastle, Spurs and Man United before the end of January. But let's hope Chelsea can take some points off them before that on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news, Jesse Fleming has signed a two-year contract extension with the women's team. The Canadiens deal was due to expire at the end of the season. Here's our Jesse, Parker Humphreys, who said on Twitter, the Jesse Fleming extension is a fascinating one. Her minutes and involvement in the team have been steadily increasing season by season, but I think we're still yet to see her really make a decisive impact at Chelsea. Interesting mutual commitment on the future. Uh, congratulations to Jesse F for that. A reminder, the women's team have a huge game away to Man United in the WSL on Sunday night. We'll handle the fallout from that on Monday's pod. Uh, the men's under-19s rounded off their disappointing UEFA Youth League campaign on a high on Wednesday. They walloped Dinamo Zagreb 4-0 to earn their first win of the group stage. Leo Castledine curled in a beaut of a free kick. Lewis Flower tapped in a second. There was an own goal before 15-year-old Frankie Runham rounded off the scoring. Despite that result, the Blues still finished bottom of the section. Uh, in terms of the academy sides this weekend, the Dev squad have to wait till Monday night for their next game. It's home to Spurs in PL2. Meanwhile, the under-18s go to Derby County in the Premier League Cup on Saturday. And producer Lucy has just informed me that Kepper has been nominated for Premier League Player of the Month for October. Uh, his redemption continues. Will Liam get some redemption? We'll find out next because we're going to do a quiz. All right. Fascinated by this. I've got to be honest, I think this is probably one of the easiest quizzes I've ever written. So I'm sort of expecting six from six. Lucy, get ready with that tiebreaker question that I forgot to write. Um, because, Dom, you're sort of viewed as the, as the man to beat in this at the moment. Do, do you Which is ridiculous. Lightly? Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, just because he wallops Sam Parkin doesn't make you a favourite. <laughs> Liam, you struggled of late. You, you're feeling like this is the, the day you get back into a good moment? <laughs> no, but let's find out. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Uh, Liam, you can go first. Which current squad member scored their first Chelsea goal and their most recent Chelsea goal against Arsenal? This is a good sign. <laughs> trying to remember recent games against Arsenal. Gonna have to push it. Hopefully Lucy's got some good hold music uh, for this. I need to be in my car and not on the podcast and then I'll be <laughs> shouting it out. Um... Come on, Liam. It's a noon kickoff for the Arsenal game. We've got to make it. <laughs> I'm going to say Jorginho. I don't know. That's want to steal it, John? Wrong. First and last. Uh, yeah, so first and most recent. It's a current squad member, so they might do it again. Um... You know you've had too little sleep after a match when you can't remember any <laughs> Chelsea players. That's the most recent. Jeez. Quick game is a good game. <laughs> I mean, Reminder it's a ridiculous question. It's the easiest quiz. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... Uh, what, what? <laughs> Just pick a name. Um, I did that. It didn't end well. N'Golo Kante. Yeah, no, that's wrong, unfortunately. It was Cesar Azpilicueta. Uh, he scored at the bridge in April and he scored his first Chelsea goal against them in the League Cup in, I want to say... Oh, you see, I just didn't understand the question there. I thought they only scored one goal. I don't think I even goal. understood the question. I thought they only yeah. scored one goal for Chelsea, so it happened to be against us. It was us. simultaneously their yeah, first yeah, and, and last. And their last, yeah. 
Okay. Oh, well, and then I'm not blaming the question. <laughs> <laughs> not a good cheese. Oh, dear. All right. Hopefully, uh, this one's a bit easier for you, Don, but I don't think so. In the first Premier League meeting between the sides at Stamford Bridge in March 1993, oh, only one non-British or Irish player started the game for each team. Both were Scandinavian. John Jensen was the Arsenal player. Who was the Chelsea man? Ooh. Can I be a pain and, and ask for that question again, please? The Scandinavian player who played for Chelsea. Yes. Yeah. Um, Erlen Jonsson. Oh, he's got it. Nice. I, I would have said that. <laughs> Not Jakob Kjellberg. Uh Let's see if you can get this one right, Liam. Who scored? Uh, this is sort of quite similarly phrased to the first one, which is worrying me a little. But if it's clear, <laughs> just let me know and I'll clear it up for you. Who scored the first of his two Chelsea goals in the Blues 6 0 win against Arsenal at the bridge in 2014? That was an early kickoff, by that the way. Good, yeah, yeah. Was that, that was a Saturday lunchtime, wasn't it? Was it mm, that was Wenger's thousandth game. Yeah, wasn't it? that was it. was amazing. That was incredible. Mm. I was at, um, I think, Kempton Racecourse that day. <laughs> um, not writing like an athletic long read. We hadn't launched then. Back in the favourites there, which is uh, what people are doing, not with you in this quiz, etc. So scored two goals that day. No, they scored two Chelsea goals in their career, the first of oh. which came in this game. Is it Salah? It was Salah, yes. Well done. Well done. That's brilliant. Really good. Well done. Uh, Dom, here's your second question. How many of the five meetings between Chelsea and Arsenal in 2003-2004 did Chelsea win? Um, five meetings. Mm. Uh, so that was Wayne Bridge, wasn't it? Um, and that was Invincibles as well. So they didn't win the two league games. Um, first leg. Lovely working. That's that's really textbook stuff. They, they only, He's they, not they, even massaging his temples. Look. <laughs> How many did Chelsea win? They just they just won the they just won the Wayne Bridge game. Correct. Absolutely yeah. right. The Champions League quarterfinal second leg at Highbury, aka the Wayne Bridge game. Okay, so you need to uh, get this right, Liam, to have any chance of uh, forcing a penalty shootout. Who left Chelsea to join Arsenal on deadline day in summer two thousand and eleven? 2011. Lucy doesn't believe in you because she's not typing in a tiebreaker question into the uh, Google Doc, so that's a blow. Who left Chelsea to join Arsenal? Who left Chelsea to join Arsenal on deadline day, summer 2011? Check was later. I'm trying to figure out if this player was earlier or not. Uh, Thanks. We do appreciate your question. <laughs> I've narrowed it down to one of two, but I don't want to say both of them because Dom will get the chance to steal. Uh, 2011. Deadline day 2011. 11 12. Andre Vyshbaros in charge. Gonna have to push you, Liam. Is it Yossi Benny Oh, it was Yossi Benny Oh, well done. Absolutely I would never have got that. Idiot. The Who was the other one you were saying? Lasana Diara, but I was, thought he was Good earlier. Yeah. But, the, but the only reason I thought about that was that Mata took his number. He was the number 10. Hmm. Nice, Very I'd good. give you a bonus point for that, but that is against the spirit of the quiz, so you just have to um, take the kudos instead. Dom, you can win it if you tap this one in. Who was the most recent recipient of a red card in a game between Chelsea and Arsenal? Oh, dear. Um... Last man to be sent off. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, a men's game. First team between Chelsea and Arsenal. Blimey. I wish I'd been to more <laughs> of late. <laughs> Aye. Um, last one to get sent off. Didn't when when Chelsea won two one at the Emirates under Lampard was not a pleasant one. Oh, bloody hell! Oh. 
No, I'm... Um, I have to guess. Uh, Koscielny. Liam, you can steal it for the win here. For the win? He's only got one. Uh, he's got two. Got two. Oh, damn it. I should have paid more attention. <laughs> oh. Um... If you don't get it, we oh, do have a tiebreaker question, which producer Lucy... Oh, don't... Please, Liam, just get it. We don't need the Instagram question. <laughs> it's not. She's gone for a variation on the theme. And I, for one, to the nearest to 10 million. million. <laughs> <laughs> um, Last man to be sent off between I, Chelsea and Arsenal is what we're looking for. I have a... F- well, I, I don't know why. I have a really weird feeling in one of those... Just really demoralising home losses to Arsenal as Piliqueta was sent off. It is not the answer that we are looking for, okay. I'm afraid. Can I? Can, was... I, can I? Can I? Uh, something. Was it David Luiz? No, David no. Luiz also got sent off in the same season. That was at the league game in Stamford Bridge oh, on, in okay. January in the oh, FA yeah. Cup final. Mateo oh, no. Kovacic got sent off by Anthony Taylor. Wow, I've forgotten that yeah. completely. Completely forgotten that. Yeah, and I'd forgotten Very that Aubameyang got both the Arsenal goals. Yeah. Um, funny old game, isn't it? Right, it means we go to the tiebreaker. <laughs> right, uh, so <laughs> here's the question. Oh, shit. <laughs> I saw, I mean, if you didn't understand mine, good luck with this. How many average goals did Kepa concede in his Player of the Month nomination-worthy October? <laughs> so the nearest wins, what was the average goal concession <laughs> is this, this just is Premier League games doubled over in laughter uh, this is according to the official Chelsea website so yeah it will be for is Premier this... League games how many Premier League games did they play in October um... he made five or more saves in three different matches and conceded goals throughout the month for an average of per game. So I had an argument with a correspondent at, at another Premier League club for the Athletic yesterday about how ludicrous this this average goal concessions by keepers stat is, and how actually well may, may may not be ludicrous, but moreover how I didn't understand it. Um, so. Basically, you should just give the points to Liam because I have no idea. I don't even know whether I'm meant to give you a number or a letter <laughs> or what. <laughs> it's a number, yeah. Um, closest wins. Liam's using this time to think and he's thinking hard. Um, Lucy's been producing this podcast for what, about two years now. I've never seen her as amused as she is at this particular moment. Uh, she says, think of it as XG. That is a great way to get Liam on side. It's kind of like goalkeeper's XG. Um, come on, Liam, give me an answer. I know it's, I, I know it's got to be a decimal. Um, well, he, he conceded three of the four against Brighton. Um, conceded against Palace. Conceded against Palace. Conceded against United. This what is am I helping? Team exercise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, so, so I, can... then, I then, I then, even when I know the number of goals conceded in the number of games, I can't do maths. So no, normally quite. Uh... Remember, there's no prize at stake. So, can you read the question again, please, Matt? <laughs> How many average goals did Kepa concede in his Player of the Month nomination-worthy October, according to the official Chelsea website? He made five or more saves in three different matches. And conceded just goals throughout the month for an average of per game. So I think he probably played like. Is it exactly one? <laughs> That's Liam's guess. What's yours, Dom? Nearest wins, remember. You see, but the thing about this is, I don't know whether it's meant, whether it's good to it's higher than one or whether it's lower because I don't understand the metric. One point one. Liam. You're the winner. The answer was 0.83. <laughs> well, I bow down to your greater knowledge of average goalkeeping. <laughs> Some complex maths led me, led me to one. <laughs> I'm glad that you won that, Liam, because I'm glad God you won this. For the shithouse route of just going yeah, slightly it was awful. above your yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so. I would have done well, the same if I'd gone second. <laughs> 
All right, well, Liam's the winner this week. Um, Lucy's the loser because that is going to take a heavy edit to get that down to something below 20 minutes. <laughs> Can I just apologise to all the listeners? And if you're still with us at this point, thank you. <laughs> Some people say the quiz is the best bit. I mean, horses. Can I just apologise for guessing Jorginho for question one? Again. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You won. Doesn't matter. Um, Liam, tell us a bit about what you've got planned for athletic subscribers to enjoy in the coming days, please. Um, so I'm working on a piece just kind of laying out the context of Chelsea's challenging, shall we say, UEFA Youth League campaign and maybe explaining why they've struggled in that group a little bit and the nature of the the team that Ed Brand has been working with this season. And uh, I'll also be at the Arsenal game on Sunday where I'm hoping there'll be some sort of English breakfast in the press room. Uh, given that it's a midday kickoff, that's that's generally assured. Hmm. And then yeah, usually pretty some good sort as well. of high-level football match. Fingers crossed. Uh, Dom, you've been writing about Paul Pogba and what France are going to do and Didier Deschamps specifically in his absence in Qatar. Well, actually, moreover than in N'Golo Kante and Pogba's absence, so the winning World Cup midfield being in absentia in Qatar. So... Uh, difficult one for them, but we'll see uh, various Real Madrid players stepping up to the plate, I imagine, and probably a glimpse of France's future. Schumani uh, as being one, and uh, probably Camavinga playing a, a role as well. Um, and yeah, I'm do- I am doing something on Sunday, just sort of pottering around the various grounds and looking at the six clubs that, that aspire to to wrest the Premier League crown from Manchester City. And whether that's even a realistic prospect when you're up against Pep Guardiola, uh, the Manchester City machine and uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund. Yeah, the answer to that is probably no, I suspect, but it won't stop us enjoying a long and pointless season. Anyway, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, there's loads of great content on there. It only costs you a pound a month. For your first six months. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on Monday, hopefully, reflecting on a big Chelsea win against Arsenal. Do join us on that if you can. Until then, have a great weekend. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.